0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party.
2: Just before announcing, or a day after, let's say, she announced that she is a fighter and not a quitter, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss quits. Just six weeks of market chaos unfurled uh, as a result of her mini-budget. Sterling dips as the ruling Conservative Party barrels towards an accelerated leadership contest.
3: What a mess. Uh, this is not just a soap opera at the top of the Tory party. Is doing huge damage to our economy and to the reputation of our country. We can't have a revolving door of chaos. We can't have another experiment at the top of the Tory party.
2: Germany drops its opposition to an EU gas price hike after late-night talks in Brussels. But German Chancellor Olaf Scholz stresses any agreement must also secure sufficient gas supplies.
4: The instruments have to be discussed intensely because they must work no one is looking for having no gas so it is the right discussion to find out how we can get prices down and have enough supply for all of us in europe
5: us stocks post back-to-back losses as treasury yields march higher with the two and ten year yields at levels not seen since 2008. And Adidas slashing its full guidance, warning of weaker demand in China and the West and one-off costs tied to its exit from Russia.
2: The French luxury giant Kering shrugs off uh, recession fears, posting a 14% jump in third quarter sales. But the flagship Gucci brand disappoints amid continued weakness in China. Well, there you go uh, we finally got to that point and we've spent the whole week effectively time checking I think you yeah, did yeah. most of it this week time checking to make sure she was still Prime yeah. Minister
5: yeah it, it, I mean I don't know I, mean, I don't think this is backward looking is it she looked absolute toast as soon as Gwarteng went yeah Um, seeing as those two were joined at the hip on economic policy and have been for a long, long time as well. Um, I'm glad that the Conservative Party is doing it quickly. I think there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes where they hope it's going to go even quicker. Um, And I think it all depends. I think it all depends on two things. And I know we've got a long segment on this now. But one, whether Boris gets into the final two if he runs and I think that is an absolutely important factor, and two, whether Mordaunt and Sunak can come forward to some form of alliance if they look like they're both getting over the 100 MP mark, which of course they need. Mm. And there's a lot of technicalities, and Arabita mm. will cover this as well, but you've got 357 MPs, and Graham Brady has said you need at least 100 to get onto the ballot.
2: This is Graham Brady who heads up the 1922 yep. committee, which is overseeing the uh, the, um, uh, the process effectively here. So. Um, Obviously, you can see a lot of this on other channels, but you won't get the market related commentary. And we've got a whole slew of guests coming up to give us analysis well, you won't get the market through commentary. the course of three hours. Well, you
5: won't get the market commentary if the markets are stable. Right. And I, I, I'm going I'm to go there straight away. Mm-hmm. A lot of our peers mm-hmm. in mainstream media only cover markets when they're going down. Yes. They only want to know the markets when they are negatively affected by the politics and we actually do both sides of the coin so yes. I, I don't often tout cnbc's qualities over i don't, I don't i'm not no. in that silly game we are what we are you know have you not been following some
2: of the mainstream yes, I have. journalists and, and, and on and twitter they are who've become
5: instant experts they, on fx and do you and know the what do you know what as they say about mr musk at the moment stick to your wheelhouse or kind of stay in your stay lane stay in your, stay lane, your lane because your the lane. truth of the matter is they are brilliant, a lot of these political analysts. They are absolutely brilliant, whether mm. it's BBC, wherever you may well say. Mm. But when it comes to finance, they only want to know if the market's falling. They yeah. only want to know if the gilts are in free fall. Well, yeah. actually, we don't do that. We cover both sides of it. And I, I don't often say about CNBCs, we're so good at this. But mm. we're in a different class when it comes to <laughs> this. But we are so good at this. We are so
2: good. Uh, look, yeah. let's take you back to the beginning because we've kind of jumped ahead of the story. Here is uh, the detail. Liz Truss has then resigned as UK prime Minister. 44 days in the job, the shortest serving prime minister in British history. Truss, who came to office promising to be a, quote, disruptor, was forced to step down after the mini-budget caused chaos in the markets. She lost her chancellor and her home secretary within the space of two weeks and ultimately lost the support of her own Conservative lawmakers. Well Truss announced her decision outside 10 Downing Street.
1: Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to his Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen.
2: Uh, Liz Truss, well opposition parties immediately called for a general election as the governing Conservative Party looks to appoint a second Prime Minister without a national ballot.
3: What a mess and this is not just a soap opera at the top of the Tory party, it's doing huge damage to our economy and to the reputation of our country and the public are paying with higher prices, with higher mortgages. So we can't have a revolving door of chaos. We can't have another experiment at the top of the Tory party that is an alternative, and that's a stable Labour government. And the public are entitled to have their say, and that's why there should be a general election.
5: Well, here's something that's contestable. Trust leaves office as the Prime Minister more at the mercy of the market than any other in living memory. Well, we remember 1992, don't we? Uh, It depends how old you are, I guess. Anyway, this is Sterling's performance versus the greenback, the dollar, during her mightily long six weeks in power. The shortest by by a country mile of any prime minister. Uh, Trust won the Tory party uh, leadership election, promising a low tax, high growth economy. But when her chancellor, uh, the aforementioned Kwasi Kwarteng, announced his mini budget, Sterling collapsed sinking to an all-time low of just over $1.03. The IMF issued a warning the next day before the Bank of England stepped in to shore up the gilt markets. A series of U-turns followed, including Kuateng's dramatic dismissal as chancellor one week ago today. The pound is modestly higher since uh, Jeremy Hunt, uh, his successor, uh, ripped up most of his plans, but Trust wasn't able to recover. Quick look at where the benchmark 10 year guilt is currently trading around 90 basis points higher since Trust came to power, even after the Bank of England spent almost 18 billion pounds shoring up prices in its emergency intervention. Longer term borrowing costs have returned closer to their early September levels. A lawmakers uh, in the Conservative Party uh, and this is important we uh, will need to get 100 nominations from their colleagues by 3pm Central European time, 2pm local Monday if they want to replace trust or at least get on the ballot. Former Prime Minister Boris Johnson apparently was as widely expected to run. I think it's more about sounding whether he can get to 100 first. He would not want to ignominiously uh, fail to do that. Uh, It's under his brand of big spending conservatism that the party won its largest majority in decades in 2019. But that was a long time ago. There's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. Former Chancellor Rishi Sunak is also a potential contender. He Ran on fiscal conservatism and was a vocal critic of Truss's policy plans during the last leadership election. Well, Arabile has become to th- come to think of Downing Street as his second home as well. Arabile, we didn't say happy birthday to you yesterday, so happy birthday to you a day late. Uh, it's wonderful to see you down at Downing Street for many reasons. Not least, it's not Jeff and I down there. Um, but indeed, well done your coverage and just take it forward for us. Good morning.
0: Yeah, good morning, Steve. Thank you so much for that. Look, it certainly is, um, uh, shall we call it crazy, a time uh, here at 10 Downing Street. Indeed, it was just around three months ago that we saw Boris Johnson put forward his resignation right here outside 10 Downing Street. And as we dashed here just yesterday, awaiting that news then uh, from Liz Truss, she came out in what was a short speech then and a short address uh, to the media and really uh, putting forward that she can no longer continue in the position of prime minister because she cannot continue to hold out the mandate that has been put forward. It kind of echoes the sentiments and the words that came through from Suella Braverman as she stepped down from Home Office Secretary, right where she then said that she feels like too many mistakes were made owned up to those mistakes and had to go and thus saying then that a lot of other people who make mistakes should be owning up to them and moving forward and moving on from their position so indeed her time as uh, election campaigner for Prime Minister is just as long as her time at the head then of uh, 10 Downing Street, effectively give or take a number of days. It certainly was colorful to come through uh, to 10, 10 Downing Street yesterday and kind of get a sense of how momentous that occasion was. What happens now though? Well, as you noted out, indeed having to need a hundred votes at the very least to stand as a nominee for the party leader then, that is all set to happen. Happen within the week. By next week, Friday, we need to have a new Prime Minister, as uh, Prime Minister Liz Truss did set out in her speech yesterday, saying that this would need to happen within a week's time. So that means you could only have three candidates, but at least five names have been thrown into the pot of possible leader. Suela Breverman has actually been uh, put out as a nominee in some quarters as well. A few rumors coming forward that she may look to step into that seat. You also have Penny Morden, the leader of the House of Commons, who did of course put forward her name initially when uh, she ran for, for Prime minister as well, alongside Liz Truss. Another one of those candidates was Rishi Sunak, of course, the former Chancellor also standing in and a possible candidate here as well. Ben Wallace, the former Defe- oh, the, rather, the current defense secretary, also stands uh, possible to stand for nomination here, and also that big name of Boris Johnson. If we speak about a whole host of U-turns that have happened of late, the one big one would be Boris Johnson returning to 10 10 Downing Street, should I say. So a whole lot of question marks around who is the next leader, but I think the biggest question will be around economic policy. What happens to that when we head to October 31st?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Arabile, terrific. Thank you so much for that. Let's get to uh, Andrew Blick, Professor of Politics uh, and Contemporary History at King's College London. Andrew, good morning to you. Um, obviously, the headline writers uh, are, g- are going over time um, on the, the, the way that they're describing these uh, extraordinary times. But how extraordinary are these times? And as we look at these in the context of British political history, should we, should we find this extraordinary, remarkable? I mean, just contextualise it for us. There's certainly some
6: exceptional aspects to this, and it's it's hard to find equivalents. Not only how quickly the trust premiership has has crashed and burned and come to an end, but also how many prime ministers we've actually been getting through in recent years. This will be, I think, since 2016, our fifth prime minister. It took from 1979 to 2016 to get through that number of Prime Ministers. We've now done it in not much, not much over than six years. So it's an incredible turnover rate in Prime Ministers. And I think a lot of that comes back still to Brexit and the and the very unusual circumstances that Brexit has generated and continue to generate. And I think that's the other thing. Not only are these times exceptional and the way in which Parliament is behaving, the relationship within the governing Conservative Party, all these things are, are very hard to find precedents for. Not only are they all that exceptional, but also it's not quite clear that we're out of the woods yet and there's still likely to be more to come. Will the Conservatives be able to finally find a candidate they can unite around? I think that's a tall order because there are sections of the parliamentary party who are not necessarily given to compromising and agreeing to a unity candidate, whoever that may be, And then you've also got the party membership in the wider country. Will they accept it, for instance, if Johnson isn't offered to them as one of the candidates they can choose between?
2: Yeah, Um, let's take the history back a little further than that, because we had a tumultuous period through the 70s, which ultimately resulted in two general elections in one year in 1974. Ironic that that also happened in a time of low growth and high inflation. Um, But just rolling forward, I mean, Labour went through an extraordinary period of self-examination with militant tendency through the 80s. Have we just got to one of those points where ultimately the Conservative Party has um, passed its sell-by date in terms of frontline politics, and they need a time in the wilderness to refresh?
6: Yeah, during the 70s, as you say, there was this kind of alternation of the party in power. Ted Heath takes over from Labour in 1970. How Wilson comes back again in 74, which is an interesting point if we're talking about prime ministers coming back again. The last prime minister... To come back again, having held office before, was Wilson Johnson will be will perhaps want to be the person to repeat that feat. And then let's not forget in 1976 the IMF crisis, the Sterling crisis. A Labour government had to implement, uh, with, with uh, virtually on the instructions of the IMF, a series of cuts right across the board. And we start to shift at that point to increasingly towards the use of monetary policy rather than Keynesian demand management. And then, as you say, Labour go into this long period of opposition eventually come out of it with the assistance, I think, of another financial crisis, the IMF crisis, uh, sorry, the ERM crisis in 1992. So these things seem to factor in. And Labour come back into power. And then you see a long period in 13 years of the Conservatives examining themselves, arguing internally. Eventually they arrive at Cameron who takes them back into power. And now maybe they're going into another long period of that. So we do seem to over the last 40 years or more to have these periods in which one of the main parties is uh, struggling really to hold itself together and put forward a convincing version of what it is that the public wants and disagreeing internally and the other parties dominating as a consequence of that Uh, we've perhaps seen i think unusually over the last maybe six seven eight years or more both parties having some problems, Labour had some serious problems during the period of Corbyn leadership, the Conservatives as we know have had massive divisions, massive arguments over Brexit and other issues over over tax policy for instance that are linked, and maybe now Labour are able to convey, although there's a lot of challenges facing Labour as well I think, but they're able to convey a more convincing account of being able to offer stable government, and I think the Conservatives have got a lot of uh, questions to ask themselves And there are some factions in there that are very difficult to reconcile with each other. So, yes, I think they are going to need to examine themselves. But one thing I would add in there is, yes, it looks like they could be headed for a long period of opposition, potentially. But things can also turn around quite quickly. In 2019, after the general election in December, Labour looked really like they were staring at a very long period of opposition.
5: Uh, And and, uh, great uh, education for a lot of our viewers. Another bit of education for our viewers, though, if I may, Andrew, is the fact that a lot of international viewers and a lot of people domestically are trying to say, hang on a second, surely there is a a constitutional deficit, a democratic deficit. Well, the answer is clearly no to that answer. You get a five-year parliament, you get a go at this, this lot I've got till January 2025. For all those people out there domestically and internationally saying this cannot be democratic to not have the will of the people um, listened to on a broader basis. That isn't the case. That's not how the parliamentary system works, is it, Andrew?
6: That's absolutely right. I'm glad you said that very clearly. We have a parliamentary democracy. We elect a parliament or more specifically, we elect a House of Commons a government is formed out of that parliament we do not directly elect the government it may look like that at times at general elections there may be a personalized aspect of almost choosing between you know two personalities be it corbyn and and uh, and uh, johnson or whoever we get at the next election to choose between but that's not what's actually going on and for so long as that government can command what's known as the confidence of the house of commons it can carry on functioning and there's no need for a general election so You're absolutely right to to point that out, we do not directly elect a president, we do not directly elect ministers, we elect a parliament and we elect a House of Commons and a government is formed out of that parliament. Now it's very common actually for the, the job of prime minister to change hands in between elections. In fact if you look since the Second World War it's happened more often that way than through a general election so many prime ministers and if you look at recent conservative prime ministers Theresa May in 2016 came to power initially without a general election. Boris Johnson came to power in 2019, initially without a general election. Then he had one. Uh, uh, Liz Truss came to power this year without a general election. And we're gonna have another prime minister. So that's four in a row who come to power, first of all, without a general election. There's no constitutional problem with that. There may be a political problem.
5: And I'm gonna take you into different territory now because I think you've brilliantly talked us through a whole host of um, the the, the scenarios and and the historical uh, context so I appreciate that as well but going forward is there an argument that actually you don't want to be Prime Minister at the moment as much as the Labour Party make protestations and I heard Sir Keir Starmer talking overnight as well that he's desperate for another general election to sort this mess out as well uh, and that Rishi Sunak or Boris Johnson might want to be Prime Minister quite frankly it's going to be one of the most difficult times to lead the country as well uh, and to get out of multiple messes as well is there an argument for not wanting to be PM at the moment and playing a longer game?
6: Well, I think if if you if you want to have prime minister on your CV, then I guess any time is a good time to go for it. But if you want to actually be a successful prime minister, and this is always going to be a challenge for trust coming in, everyone knew this. It's not necessarily the best time, I suppose. The the, the one the, the other side to that is that uh, is that you don't the, the chance to be prime minister doesn't necessarily come along twice. And these are people who have thought about being prime minister, perhaps from a very young age. It's a thing they maybe dreamed of. And you don't know when the chance is going to come along again. But absolutely, it's certainly not dream circumstances in which to take over. And I think whoever takes over the the Conservative Party will realistically know that uh, the chances of actually turning it around and getting a win at the next general election, are slight, but maybe they could improve circumstances. So maybe the best that, that history could say of them is that they took over in a bad situation and made things less bad than they might otherwise have been. And that's that's something to have. But yeah, absolutely. It's not the, it's not the dream circumstance in which you might want to come into the job.
2: Andrew, we've got to say goodbye, but thanks so much for being with us. It's, it's been very interesting listening in to, to your views and running us back through the past. Um, Andrew Blick, Professor of Politics and contemporary history at King's College, London. Coming up on the programme, we'll be live in Brussels as European leaders reach a tentative energy agreement, but the news from London also capturing attention.
1: My first point would be that market volatility could cause democratic instability. Uh, and there are many lessons that could be learned uh, uh, around uh, the
4: world, including in the European Union for that, uh, on that regard. I started with David Cameron, then I had Theresa May, then I had Boris Johnson. Now also, I hope that I will still be able to remember all the British PMs I survived. It's important as Britain's nearest neighbour. We uh, have a significant economic and relationship, and many other relationships with the United Kingdom. I think stability is very important, and uh, we would like to see uh, the, the, the UK system within its capacity to. Uh, be in a position to uh, have a successor um, uh, selected as quickly as possible and that stability will be brought to the situation given the uh, fairly significant geopolitical issues facing Europe.
2: Germany has dropped its opposition to an EU-wide gas price cap, supporting an agreement to allow the European Commission to work on proposals for a temporary cap amid pressure from other EU member states. The potential gas price cap would be conditional on a number of factors, including it not fueling gas consumption or risking supply, well, European Council President Charles Michel uh, says there should be a notable impact on prices.
4: I am confident that um, very soon uh, the effects will be will, will be will be seen, because I think that uh, we sent also uh, a clear signal uh, to the markets. Uh, it means that we are ready. Uh, to act together, that we are able to act together and that there is a strong political will. That's why I'm confident that there will be uh, efforts very soon and, of course, we need to work very hard and urgently in order to implement uh, as much as possible uh, the different measures that are on the table. Well, the European Commission
2: President, Ursula von der Leyen, emphasised the cap would be a temporary solution.
4: We are going to establish a market correction mechanism exactly to limit episodes of excessive gas prices and to make sure that there is a clear order in uh, the build of the market. Um, so here we will work with the energy ministers to submit a legal proposal to operationalize this market correction mechanism.
2: Uh, so live on the line. Well, let's get to Sylvia, who's with us from Brussels now. Um, Sylvia, this still hasn't been signed effectively and we're talking about the Germans now making a concession but in the read it was very clear that there are still lots of caveats to getting this deal over the line. Just talk us through why and how the Germans capitulated and what kind of conditions any agreement is likely to come with.
7: So, in essence, what we have is the 27 saying together, writing a document saying unanimously that they want further work on a price cap. In essence, this is big, Jeff, because we have the Germans saying, okay, let's go ahead with this policy. Of course, the question here is what sort of detail there will be from the European Commission in the coming weeks in terms of how this price cap will actually work, what sort of implementation will be needed, and, and so on, in terms of what sort of caveats there will be needed for this to be implemented as well. But of course, it is very important to see the Germans saying that OK, let's go ahead with this policy because they were the big problem for the rest of the European Union. Several countries were telling me here yesterday that indeed the biggest obstacle to seeing this policy going ahead was Germany. And I posed that question, for instance, to the president of Lithuania, whether Germany was indeed the biggest stumbling block. And this is what he had to say.
0: It has a certain impact on the political situation in our countries.
7: Do you think they recognize that, that all our shows recognize that it's becoming a problem for the rest of Europe?
0: Uh, I, w- I would like to, ha- uh, to stress the importance of level playing field and fair competition. If we are looking for the uh, resources or for measures which could help us nationally-wise, We have to look also on the European Union measures, because otherwise it will be very difficult to avoid the distortions of the market. And to have this uh, solidarity, we are talking very often. So this is critically important.
7: We discussed yesterday that essentially for the Germans they were just concerned about the potential market implications from going ahead with a cap on gas prices. But indeed the feeling from other member states was that they should go ahead with this policy. They should go ahead because it is likely to bring down those prices. And therefore I posed the question as well to the chancellor of Germany whether he recognized this criticism from the rest of the European Union and whether Germany should should actually be doing more to support the neighboring countries.
4: We are the biggest supporter of Europe. We are paying 26% of the budget usually. And we are developing a lot of solidarity mechanisms, as we did in the last crisis, looking at Corona with the instruments we developed with the RRF and uh, the recovery fund is a good chance for acting together also In the time we have now what we have to find out is how we can support all countries together in getting prices down not just with subsidies which is one question but getting them down on the world market so we need to cooperate for instance with other demanders like south korea and japan we need to cooperate with other friends in g7 that are suppliers And we have to cooperate with other countries that supply gas, for instance, for getting the prices down. And this is what we have to talk about, how we can get this.
7: Olaf Scholz there, the chancellor of Germany, indeed saying that they are the biggest supporter of the EU because they pay the most into the European budget. But all in all, those conversations with the rest of the European member states have allowed Germany to say, okay, let's go ahead with this policy on price caps. But as we know now, we need to wait for that detail to see how this is going to work. But definitely, this has been a more successful summit, guys, than what we initially expected.
2: Uh, How many times? if you said let's wait and see what's in the details Sylvia when you've been standing there in (laughs) Brussels on any of these topics and we're we're still waiting for capital markets union. We're still waiting for banking union. Let's see whether they can get their act together on this price cap. Thank you so much for that. We'll see you a little bit later on. Uh, France, Portugal and Spain are to build a gas and hydrogen pipeline between Marseille and Barcelona. The new underwater pipeline is instead of the so-called Midcap pipeline through the Pyrenees, which France rejected leaders from the three countries will meet to talk about timelines and funding. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more
5: market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.